Hello and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of Irish Abroad and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy from Hawkeye Sidekick and Phil Flanagan from the bottomless pit of football. How are you doing, guys? All good, Joe. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mark. We're another month into Stephen Kenny's reign. We're still waiting the first win. The Euros are coming to Dublin next year, but Ireland won't be at it. And we've gone four competitive games without scoring for the first time. But I think the mood among Ireland fans is starting to improve. The performances across the three games deserved more than we got. So there's a lot to discuss. So I suppose we should start with the Slovakia game and the unfortunate draw and penalties. I think the general consensus is that we played well. We possibly didn't deserve to win the game in normal time. But I just felt that we're lacking that cutting edge up front. And that seems to be the, the theme across the games of Stephen Kenny's reign so far. We're missing a goal scorer. We're missing someone like Robbie Keane. And I think what's been emphasised over the last five games and probably over the last two years is just how much of a difference the former captain made to the team. Phil, what did you think after the Slovakia game? Um, well, obviously, disappointment that we're not going to be playing in Dublin in the summer. But overall, performance-wise, pleased enough. It's n- like as you said, it's no big discovery that we we can't score goals. We haven't been scoring goals for a long time since Robbie Keane's retired, and it's just something we're going to have to try and deal with. And I think Kenny is actually dealing with it now. And I think we saw that in the Slovakia performance more in the other two games that followed. But I think in the Slovakia performance, we could see like the chances were being created. We weren't. We were away from home. We weren't sitting back in our twelve-yard line with twenty minutes to go. We pressed the issue. We forced the issue, especially late into the second half. And as you said, in extra time, we really did deserve something out of the game. Horn had his chance. Brown off the post. The main takeaway from that game for me was we had Slovakia at home in a playoff semi-final gasping for penalties with 10 minutes to go in extra time and that's a huge change in how we play football and how we've managed our games in recent years and I think that alone shows you that we're on the right track as disappointing as that game was results wise yeah Mark I mean we're all absolutely got it now that we're not going to be seeing scenes like what we saw on the streets of Paris and and four years before that in Gdansk and um, Poznan replicated on the streets of Dublin next year. I mean, we're looking forward to welcoming fans from around Europe to the nation's capital. Well, hopefully. But uh, what positives did you take from that Slovakia game? I was devastated by the result, first and foremost. I think when we go to penalties, it's a complete lottery. And unfortunately for the likes of Alan Brown and also to Matt Doherty, you know, they were the unlucky ones on the night. But as Philip said, I thought it was a very cagey affair op- opening period. Both sides were trying to feel each other out. But as Philip has said here, uh, quite rightly, we did definitely force the issue. Now, granted, Shane Duffy made a magnificent clearance off the line after 75 minutes. But thereafter, guys, I thought extra time. There's only one team winning this game, and it wasn't Slovakia. Slovakia were very intent, putting players behind the ball. Marek Hamsic became more of a less lesser influence on the game as it went on. So I think kudos there to the midfielders uh, for doing their job. I thought John Egan was outstanding. Defensively, we looked pretty solid. Yeah, it's just that final piece. And in fairness to McGoldrick as well up front, you know, he was creating 
space for others. Uh, you can think of Callum Robinson's chance as well. It was kind of clear-cut Horahan as well. So we did have the chances. It's just that the look, look at the ball is not kind of going with us at the moment. And particularly in the second period of extra time as well, you know, Alan Brown coming on. And I thought he did pretty well when he came on. The chance hitting the woodwork as well. So it was like one of those nights and penalties, unfortunately, didn't go our way. But like, I agree an awful lot with what Phillips is saying here because... You know, but the momentum, you know, typically in a playoff, we would have been this Slovakia. We would have basically sat back. We would have literally waited for a set piece. That seemed to be Slovakia's mindset, you know, particularly going in 75 minutes plus. We were very much in the mindset of let's go for the win here. We continued to play our football. We're continuing to create chances as well. I would say something, guys, if we weren't creating chances. The fact of the matter is we have been creating chances and... Say yourself, Joe, you know, sorry that we're we're not going to be there next summer in Dublin watching the boys in green. But I think bigger picture now is to see if we can identify attacking players, particularly in that final third. Can we improve the final third service and identify maybe a few players coming along that could maybe make the goals first? Because I, I think if one goal goes in, it could be a case of the confidence in the side will soar. So I think there's positives despite the, the result. Yeah, I think a goal for the team we could see a dam burst after it and suddenly it'll just click everyone's head. Oh, right. This is what we're actually supposed to be doing. Just for myself, watching the Slovakia game, I kind of got the impression that this was the type of qualifier that we might have played under previous managers and come away with a draw and been happy with it. But because it was a one-off game, because of what was at stake, we went for it. We really did try to create chances. We, we did try to beat the stereotypical, tricky Eastern European t- sides uh, away from home, which we, we don't really do. Martin O'Neill's victory over Austria was our first win against higher opposition away from home since we beat Lithuania in 1997. Slovakia, they're only ranked two places ahead of us, but they are still ranked ahead of us. And I didn't see anything from them in the game that would lead me to believe that they can beat Northern Ireland in Belfast in a couple of weeks' time. And you know what? I, I wish the Green and White Army the very best in, in that game. You know, and I look forward to seeing them play in the European Championships uh, next year. After the devastation of the loss against Slovakia on penalties, uh, we had to turn things around really quickly and face Wales at home. Wales had faced England the same night that we played Slovakia and lost 3 0, although. I got the impression watching back on the highlights that the Welsh team didn't really take it too seriously. I think they were focusing more on on this game and treating the England game as a a warm-up. And it seemed to be a familiar story. You could see that the the way Kenny wants his team to play. He wants patient build-up. He wants midfielders on the ball. He wants the team moving up the pitch as one. I thought there was a couple of times the midfield pushed forwards to trying not just create chances but also take chances and we were nearly caught on the break a couple of times and again we're just missing that goal scorer against Wales like I know we only had one shot on target but we managed to create another 10 that went off target we completed 84% of our passes and if it was a friendly if it was it's similar to the first year of other managers where they've had friendlies to build the side, to get across to the players the way they want the game to be played. It would be an acceptable draw, I think is what I'm trying to say. 
but because it was a, a Nations League game and we're still waiting for our first win in the Nations League, even though we're into our second uh, participation in the pseudo tournament, didn't feel like a loss, but it felt worse than a draw, if you know what I mean. And I don't think I was the only person to be surprised that, you know, that was James McLean's first red card for Ireland either. So, like, Mark, like, what did you think after watching the game against Wales? Yeah, I thought it was very underwhelming, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, Joel. I mean, we did try to kind of, I think it was very hard for the team to recover. And uh, we haven't really mentioned the whole kind of pre-game from Slovakia v Ireland as well. The whole rigmarole and the whole drama that went on with the likes of Adam Ida and Aaron Connolly during that stint as well. And again, it was a very short time period to kind of turn around and kind of produce a performance again. Um, again, I thought both teams nil all draw. A draw was probably a fair result on the day. Um, both teams, I think, cancelled each other out pretty much. And I think chances were pretty much hard to come by from both sides. It, it reminded me very much of um, the qualifier that we had in Diviva back a few years ago. You, know, you remember the one where Seamus Coleman got the horrific leg break off Neil Taylor. A bit of that sort of, you know, t- club players knowing each other inside out and chances were at a premium. So, I mean, again, I think Jason Malumby, for me, was probably the standout. Came into the central midfield and I thought he did a very good job. And also maybe Robbie Brady as well coming back. You know, you can see, you can see the, the you know, the optimism there for Brady. You know, you can see he's getting the match sharpness back and he did have a few good touches, but... Yeah, uh, McLean sending off a side. I think that was the only real kind of flashpoint or marquee kind of event in the game, to be honest. So, yeah, kind of left it pretty underwhelmed. And that kind of search for the goal, even one goal, uh, would be nice for Ireland to kind of get sooner rather than later. Phil, another game without scoring. And I think these kind of stats are the, the longer you go without scoring, the longer you're going to go without scoring. It starts becoming a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But... It, I don't think we can underestimate the impact that the late changes due to COVID tests had on the build-up to the game either. He seems to be settled on that 4-3-3 formation now, but do you think he knows what his preferred starting 11 is? I don't think he knows fully what his first starting 11 is. I see he has a good enough idea, though, but I suppose he needs to see how players develop. We were going on about the lack of goals there and, and how he plays. I suppose he's come into this team and he's realised like all of us have realised is that we don't score goals so it's up to him as manager to set up the team in a way that best creates chances now McCarthy and O'Neill the best way for that to happen was to get the ball in the box so if it's a 30 yard free kick outside our own box and our own half that means Randolph comes out everyone pushes up load the box that's the best way we're going to score. We might get something off that. We might get something off a corner. Kenny's identified a way to actually create chances. I can't remember for a long time that Ireland team creating that many chances in both those two games from open play than we had in a long time. Like, we had a lot of chances from open play in the two games. And it's the old adage, the manager can't go on, kick the ball into the net for them, but he can direct them to get into positions. Alan Brown is a centre midfielder. He was... In the six-yard box, he hit the post. Horan is another midfielder who doesn't really get into the box that much, but he was in the box and he had a shot. It was timid, but he was there. The chances were being created. Under McCarthy, them two players wouldn't be near the six-yard box, no matter what stage or phase the game was in. So he's 
directing this team to do that. So he's pushing the issue. He sees the problem. So that's why I don't think, while it is a massive issue, like I've great faith that he'll solve it. And eventually one or two of them will go in. Like against Wales, we were missing McGoldrick, possibly our best player against Slovakia. You have to play Shane Long. For Kenny, that's a square peg in a round hole. Long is off the shoulder of the last defender. He's a ball over the top. He's into the channels, hold it, wait for the play. Whereas Kenny wants the likes of Malumbi to drive, carry the ball, look for a quick pass, which Malumbi did great. Like, I don't know how many times you mentioned there that we nearly got caught in the break. And it did happen a few times, but we actually defended really well. And the ball, we broke the ball up well outside our own box. And then actually, instead of like looking and lumping for long, Malumbi would pick it, carry it, look for a quick pass, always looking to give and go. And that helps the team get up the pitch. So it's a totally it's a totally different way of playing and it'll come eventually. And when they do get comfortable together and when he does find his first 11, that'll click. And then maybe not having a prolific goal score up front might matter as much because the goals will come from midfield. I'm going to compare Ireland to Liverpool now and people will laugh, but like Liverpool don't rely on Firmino to score goals. And I'm not comparing Dave McGoldrick to Firmino at all. But McGoldrick does drop deep, hold the ball up in a different way than Shane Long does. He comes back into the play in midfield and he links the play up and then he moves up the pitch, whereas Long just stays high up the pitch, waits for the cavalry to come. And that's where the goals come from for Liverpool. And that's where the goals can come from for Ireland. The likes of Connolly on the wing and possibly Robertson cutting in. They'll, the goals will come from that side of the play, I think. You mentioned Malumbi there, and he was caught up from the under-21s. And unfortunately, they lost against Italy, and they faced two vital qualifiers now in November against Iceland and Luxembourg. Do you think that Malumbi and the other players that were called up from the under-21 squads are going to be in the senior squad come November, or are they going to be go back to the under-21s to give them the best possible chance of qualifying for the European Championships for the first time? I think it would be scandalous to send Malumbi back. I think Malumbi, Malumbi nearly walks into our midfield at the moment. Like um, Mark mentioned Brady. I was impressed with Brady in the Wales game and his set-piece delivery and his crosses were actually really good. And that, to me, puts a huge question mark over Conor Horhan because I don't know, is he justifying his place if Brady's on set-pieces? Brady's a bit more mobile and he's a better delivery and... I would definitely have Malumbi in instead of Horan if if that's the case. I, I, I could see Malumbi. I wouldn't see him out of the team, let's put it that way. Even on the bench if he's not getting many games. But I think he's been kept by his club now. He's not going out on loan. Like, he was seriously impressive. He's exactly what we've been looking for and what Kenny's been looking for. Like, we, we castigate Whelan and, and McCarthy for not looking for the ball at the edge of our box. Not looking for it quickly. Not looking for the pass. And that's exactly what Malumbi does. And he did so well in the Wales game. So I don't think we can ignore that. I think Knight will probably go back to uh, to the under-21s. I know he only played a few minutes at the end of the Finland game. And it was excellent to see see him come on and make his debut. And I'm sure tonight uh, he'll never forget. But he was only called into the squad as a result of other players be, being unavailable. So I think he will be back in the under-21s for their two qualifiers in November. I think he sees Brady more as a, a wide forward than a midfield player. 
as a you know a replacement for Connolly or well he he played in that right wing forwards uh, role against Wales uh, replacing Callum Robinson. He hasn't been in the Burnley first team this season. Robinson seems to be fairly comfortable in the starting eleven with West Brom. So if he's available, I think he'll continue in the starting eleven for the the upcoming games in November. Mark, we went after those two games. We went to Finland, and I think this was the first opportunity of Kenny's reign so far to see what he's learned. It's the first time he's facing a team that he's already played. He did tweak things uh, a little uh, in the formation. Again, there was issues with late changes to the players that he had available. Jack Byrne had to pull out for what was later revealed to be a positive COVID test. But it did see the the return of uh, Aaron Connolly and Adam Ida. But we faced with the same result. It was a 1-0 loss, and I felt it was undeserved. I think we played better than we did in the first game against Finland. It was a moment of madness from Darren Randolph that ended with us conceding. I think it was possibly a miscommunication between the goalkeeper and Matt Doherty. Looking back at the goal, my first thought was he's actually trying to release Doherty, but he hasn't confirmed that Doherty is waiting to receive the pass. What did you think after the Finland game? Did Stephen Kenny learn anything from the first game? Or was there so many late changes made that it was impossible really for him to to implement anything that he had learned uh, against the Finns? Like you have to kind of say that Stephen Kenny in the back of himself oh, should have learned something from it. I mean, just look at the shots that Finland had during the game. I felt in the Aviva were very wide open. And literally in the game in Helsinki, I think they had only two shots on target, two shots off target. It was pretty much all Ireland here, uh, guys, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you know, gold, I thought it was blatantly daylight robbery. You know, we should have definitely got something out of the game and only for had Decky at the end, we should have gotten a draw at least. Like the things that you could probably see, you know, the improvement definitely I thought was depressing, particularly from our front our front guys, I thought, particularly against Finland, they gave Kamara, guys like that, Toivu, an awful lot of time on the ball in the Aviva, but that didn't seem to be the case here. And maybe that was due with pre-season as well, to a certain extent. But I thought our pressing game was an awful lot better here than it was against Finland at home. And look, we created chance after chance after chance here as well, guys. So to be honest, the one they lost was, you know, disappointing again. But I think you can see the green shoots here. I can, You can see how... Players are sinking up here. You could see Matt Doherty becoming a bit more prominent in an attacking position. That's why we want him in the team. You know, he had a great header towards the latter end, but I thought he was an attacking threat throughout. Darrow O'Shea made his debut as well. It was really, I thought, impressive for a debutante, really kind of fitted in well for Shane Duffy. And literally, yeah, I suppose Aaron Connolly came out. He was very self-critical of himself post-game, but at least he provided a threat. He seemed genuinely a dangerous threat for the Finnish defence throughout and I mean he kind of lambasted himself for the the chance that he missed you know where he could have literally laid it off but I'd applaud him for actually taking the shot on shows confidence in him uh, that he can literally want to score a goal you know from an attacking position so I think overall Joe I think yes Kenny did definitely improve tactically you know we did press the ball much better 
and on another day we should have had two or three goals against the Finns because I think we made the Finns look very limited. I know Kamara had a good game for Finland, but overall I thought we had an awful lot of the better moments in the game compared to the Viva where Finland were the standout team on that fixture. So, so I think you could see the progression there for sure. Uh, I think we can all agree that if it wasn't for that one moment of miscommunication in defence, it probably would have ended in a draw. I know Andy Stevens hit the crossbar and yeah. Ronan Curtis had a, a very late header saved on the line, reminiscent of Banks' legendary save against Pele in the 1970 World Cup. But I, I'm finding it hard to look beyond the four consecutive goalless stats in the game. It's only the second time uh, it's happened for one manager. Uh, Martin O'Neill's team also went four games without scoring, but it's the first time that four uh, consecutive competitive games um, have passed without uh, the boys in green finding the back of the net. And it's the kind of thing that, as I say, look, the longer it goes on, the longer it's going to go on. And now, just announced today, was a friendly against England replacing the friendly against Bosnia. And England at the moment are a team in full flow. I know they lost their last game, but they're not a team I want to face right now. They're a step above everything we faced recently. And I can't see any positives from the game. I know it makes like it makes some sense from a logistics point of view as well, because it's easier to get from London to Cardiff and then to Dublin to face Bulgaria than it might be to get from Bosnia to Cardiff and then Dublin again. I, like The reaction that I'm seeing online is very much that this is a mistake. And Mark, is that your opinion as well? I think it's a treacherous fixture for Stephen Kenny personally. Uh, I know we've talked about the optimism of these three games, but um, I'd be more interested in seeing the England lineup because if Gareth Southgate puts in his marquee first-team players, I think we might be already okay. But if he decides to go like he did against Wales and bring the fringe players in, I'd be very worried for us because I felt that England performance against Wales was outstanding from start to finish compared to other previous England performances in recent months. And that would be my fear, that the likes of Danny Ings or Connie Cody, guys like that, that are looking to burst onto that first team when it comes to championship tournaments, they come in and they're looking to stake a big claim on places. And given that we're way for tin confidence here on goal scoring, it's imperative then that we're literally keeping a defensively clean sheet. And to be honest, I can't really maybe see that happening. So yeah, for Stephen Kenny, you know, Keith Andrews, the rest of the backroom staff, I think they have to really negotiate this fixture with an awful lot of care because as you say, Joe, this could backfire enormously on the team and the management. And I know the media have really kind of held fire, you know, and I think uh, the fans really have been loyal. They can see the good work that's been going on here with Stephen Kenny. But dare I say, if there's a three, four, five nitter here, the pressure gets absolutely cranked up on Stephen Kenny. And regardless of the beautiful football that they're playing at the moment, the fact of the matter is, as you say, if we don't score another goal, that's another game without scoring questions are going to get raised and then these Welsh and Bulgarian games become absolute must-wins so and then you might have a siege mentality win the camp so I think it's a it's a fixture that I was surprised about because I thought New Zealand were going to fulfill the fixture but obviously maybe a political decision from the New Zealand government or whatever to prevent that from happening but 
it's a very treacherous trick, uh, fixture, considering that England have come off a loss against Denmark. And I suppose we can baseline ourselves a little bit to Denmark, but obviously our confidence levels when we're playing Denmark are sufficiently lower now. So, yeah, it's a, it's a treacherous trick, uh, uh, fixture. But again, the guys might think there's nothing to lose here. And um, hopefully we get a performance. And I think the fact that all these guys are pretty much in UK clubs might be a good logistical move, considering that on a plane... We couldn't even get the seating plan right. So I think from a context of an England fixture, I think we should be bang on with full team selection. Just looking at some of England's recent home fixtures, you know, in the last two years, they've scored five against the Czech Republic. They've put four past Bulgaria, five past Kosovo, seven past Montenegro. I don't think that Stephen Kenny is going to set up a team to concede that amount of goals. But I think another loss, it's going to give the naysayers, something, they're going to give them further ammunition. If we look back at the squad for the games in October, Jack Byrne was the only outfield player not to make an appearance across the three games. And he wasn't available for the game against Finland due to his positive COVID test. But do you think that he's missed his chance now? Is he going to be involved in the team in November? It's hard to know. Like, I really thought they could have done with bringing him on against Slovakia, especially in that in that added time period, towards the end of the first half of added time. I thought a pass, someone with his passing range, like McGoldrick was making good runs in behind, actually, at that stage. And I think he was the perfect foil for him to come off the bench and put Slovakia under even more pressure. Like, they were being pinned back in the second half anyway. But I thought he was he was the one that could have that could have unlocked something. Has he missed his chance? It's hard to know. It's really hard to know where all these players stand, to be honest with you, because there's nothing stable about any of these squads so far. Like, we look back to the first two games, it was pre-season, and I think, you know, you can't really judge any of the players by that. Like, even just going back to your point in the Finland game, did Kenny learn anything? Well, what we learned was, was Duffy and Cole were seriously unfit against Finland because they looked all over the place. But, bring it on a couple of months and they looked they looked absolutely brilliant. They were fully fit. And with all the COVID absentees for the last three games, it's hard to know has he made his mind up on anyone. So like you could see Byrne, you could not I wouldn't I wouldn't think we'd be seeing him in a in the first eleven anytime soon. And just one other point about that England game, lads, they could have negative implications on our World Cup pot. So effectively what you've got is we're going into a game where we could really do with playing someone of our own level, where maybe we could score a goal and keep playing the way we're playing. But now what's happened is we're going to play in England. We've got Declan Rice and we've got Jack Grealish as potential subplots. We haven't scored. They have loads of players itching to play, as you said. And it's a friendly, but, you know, if we get thumped in that game and drop down to pot three for the World Cup, you know, that's a loss. That's that's not a friendly a friendly game. That's a that's a loss. So is that going to be the kind of game where Kenny makes six changes at half time? Already I'm thinking no. I'm thinking he's gone out. I don't think it's going to be that kind of friendly. So I think it's just um it's a lot of unnes- unnecessary pressure. A lot. Uh, just to go back on that. Yeah, I, I'm really not looking forward to seeing endless articles about what this means for Jack Rich and Declan Rice in the build-up to the game. And also for you know, Callum Robinson uh, on our side, who played underage for England. How could they make my November any worse? The North will be playing football in Dublin next summer, and Greenwich is going to get a hat-trick. <laughs> could happen. 
you know, really like good. It's, it's just it's it's actually like it just doesn't make any sense. Like you're a team that's looking for confidence. Like I'm not saying go out and play Oman again. Go out and play, you know, someone that's of your level, like Slovakia or Bosnia or, or not Northern Ireland, but somebody of that level. Go out and play against them and try and score a goal. Keep going the way you were going with no real pressure. Where there's just there's so many different subplots and and that. I like think you just said uh, the endless articles of yeah. Declan Rice and Grealish. That's going to be that's going to be nightmarish. That's why it's very crushing. I think the only point of view that it makes some sense from is a logistical point of view. Given the current hell climate across Europe and around the world, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to have players travelling to Eastern Europe, to Bosnia. Play Scotland then, like. They're in their own final. You know, it's teams that are available to face as well. That's why it seems to be an ideal solution maybe for England when New Zealand cancelled the qualifier, they looked around and said, well, we can't play the North because they're playing Slovakia. Uh, Scotland are, are in their their own final. We just played Wales. Okay, Ireland have this game organised against Bosnia, but perhaps we can do a deal there. And I think that, that kind of is what happened. I'm looking forward to it in the sense that a game against England is always a big occasion. But... I've seen a couple of games at Wembley since football restarted in England. The FA Cup final was held there. Um, and the big difference for me is that there's just no atmosphere without fans. You're not sure if you're watching a cup final or a preseason friendly. It was good to see some fans in the stand against Finland, including I think there was three Ireland fans in the stadium. And with with Ireland on lockdown for the next six weeks, there's not going to be anyone in Aviva Stadium when Bulgaria come to visit. What I'd like to see from the two Nations League games, aside from a goal, is... Well, actually, I think the only thing I would like to see is a goal. We've gone too long without scoring. We've only ever gone five games without a goal once in our history, and that was the end of Jack Charlton's reign and the start of Mick McCarthy's reign. For a manager as well, going five games without a goal, going to end the honeymoon period early. Uh, every other manager, I think even Staunton, um, had a little bit of a grace period at the start. Staunton won his first game 3-0 against Sweden, so people were prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt. I know it didn't last long because of the performances that came after it, but you know he did get that, that grace period at the start of his reign. There's been some suggestion that Robbie Keane might be brought in as a, a coach for the strikers. He's been a coach at Middlesbrough uh, for the last year and he was a coach under Mick McCarthy as well and didn't make much of a difference. And He could be possibly moving to LA to go back to coach his former club, LA Galaxy, as well. Uh, Mark, what changes would you like to see to either to the squad, the formation or even the playing style in November? Yeah, you kind of mentioned the four at the back. Um, I'm kind of hammering on about this point. Like, where's Seamus Coleman fitting in to all this, guys? I mean, I think Coleman defensively still is a massive asset to the team. We can't really have Coleman and Doherty in that same position. Again, I'm proposing again the 3-5-2. Uh, would he be, you know, particularly against Bulgaria? Let's face it, guys. Bulgaria have shown that they're a little bit more competitive than they were when they came to the Viva Stadium last season. 
But still, I think there is an opportunity here, particularly in Nations League, because we're out of the running in terms of getting out of um, out of this pool. If we could get a reasonable result against Wales, I think it might be the perfect opportunity to see if we could maybe kind of experiment with a three-five-two formation. Have Coleman in there, you know, slapping in with Egan, Duffy, and literally having Doherty and Stevens on the flanks. Really, I mean, I think you have to build your team around the, you know, the key strengths. I mean, I think your key strengths, you know, particularly with Enda Stevens and also Matt Doherty, is that literally they've been able to operate on a three-five-two formation. They're very used to it from previous seasons, so. For me, formation, perhaps, and we haven't bigged up your boy yet, Michael Obafemi, have we, Joe, from the previous podcast? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, like... apparently he didn't do a lot in the under-21 game, apart from getting sent off. I don't know if the red card from that would also transfer to the senior team, so I don't think we're going to see him in either squad in November. Yeah, I might have given a kiss to that there, but I think, in fairness to Stephen Kenny. You can see the likes of McGoldrick there, but definitely needs a, a, and Aaron Connolly. I'd, I'd like to see how that would progress a little bit, particularly against Wales and even Bulgaria from that perspective. I think we have to give the young guys a chance. Well, the likes of Malumbi, Adamida as well. You know, he's, he's getting not too much game time at the moment with uh, North City either. But let's see if we can give a few of the youngsters again more game time. You know, I, I think the key is if we can get out of that Wembley game unscathed, have a decent performance against Wales, score a goal or two, look competitive, and hopefully break our maiden uh, maiden win against Bulgaria. That hopefully could set us up a little bit more, you know, in terms of World Cup qualifiers and getting a reasonable draw. But for me, I think the formation would be the key. See if we could experiment against Bulgaria, because to be honest, if we can't beat Bulgaria at home, I think there's serious, serious questions to be asked then of the side. Yeah, that's true. I don't think Kenny's position is under threat. And even... Uh, if we do finish November without a win or, or without a goal, I think the FAI aren't really in a position to sack the manager after only three months' worth of fixtures. Um, and even if they were, the, the first question is, who would you replace them with? I don't think uh, there's too many candidates available at the moment. But even going back to your comment on the backroom staff, I definitely think that backroom staff needs a bit of reinforcing here. I think with Stephen Kenny, you know, he's been feeling an awful lot of questions, but is the backroom staff preparations all that it is, you know, logistics-wise, is it all that it should be? I feel, particularly on the logistics front, maybe it hasn't been the case. It's literally set up Stephen Kenny to fail, particularly on that Slovakian trip. That was an unmitigated disaster. What happened on that uh, flight over to Slovakia, despite COVID negative positive cases? I think he needs better support, Stephen Kenny. I don't think it's solely to blame uh, one person here. I think it's the organisation as a whole needs to improve. Stephen Kenny included, but even seen tonight, like, you know, like so Keith Andrews is there in Virgin Media on doing punditry. I mean, I'd like to see him focus a little bit more on the coaching, a little bit more preparation behind the scenes here. You know, and also if we were getting an attacking-minded coach here, Robbie Keane, I think the link there between himself and Stephen Kenny, you know, there was discussions at the start of his reign. I don't know what the relationship there between Stephen Kenny and Robbie Keane is, but certainly Robbie Keane will be going to LA Galaxy, I'd say, pretty soon to resurrect that football club. But there definitely needs to be, particularly if we go to Wembley, don't score a goal or continue to have those issues. We definitely need some sort of attacking consultant or someone to come in to maybe run a few training sessions here with Stephen Kenny because something will have to change pretty much for all the time though if Keane came in for all the time he'd spend with them like is he really gonna 
make that much of a difference. I wonder, like you would say, Conley Long and McGoldrick might be your first three, and Ida is probably ahead of Long maybe when fit. But like, is Keane going to really improve? Like, it sounds good, but is he actually going to improve them? He's not going to be like, you know, what's he going to actually be able to do that they're going to take on board? That they're not getting from, say, their Premier League managers. I don't think it'd be a lot, to be honest with you. In such a limited amount of time, like I just think that's just let's bring Robbie back because he's a goal scorer, and everyone goes, "Oh, look, it's Robbie. He's back. Sure, he can show him how to kick through the ball with his laces." Like he's not going to be able to do anything, really, you know. And then you've got like the other coaches. So if you're you're you know you've got Duff there, you know I know you mentioned Andrews, but you've got Duff. Oh, Damien, we're bringing in Robbie because he needs to show the lads how to put the ball in the back of the net. I don't think it'd be worth it. I don't think it's something Keane would do either, to be honest with you. I think if he was coming back, it would be as a first-team coach. Just to quickly, just to go back to what you were going on about changes, what changes you'd like to see, I'm going to be the glass half-full guy again. So I definitely agree with Mark. Like, And we said it when Kenny took over, and we've said it all along. You have three or four of our best players in the back line, and they're all playing 3-5-2. So even Duffy's playing 3-5-2 now at Celtic sometimes. So... Why wouldn't you? It would probably be the right thing to do, but I don't think Kenny's going to do it at all. And from Kenny's point of view, he's probably going, we've played three games in in October, like we've gave up hardly any chances, and the goal we gave away was a sloppy mistake. So he's probably not going to change formation, and he's probably not going to change the back four. And as far as changing the way he attacks, like I'd be fairly confident that we beat Bulgaria at home. It's not like we're not creating the chances. He just needs one to go in. Like, if one goes in, a lot more will follow. And the chances are being created. The three games, like, obviously they were all disappointing in their own different aspects. Like, we didn't score in any of them. But they were exciting at times. There was chances to be scored, and we didn't score. Stevens had a flick on the crossbar against Finland, and it wasn't even from a corner. He was just up there. Stuff like that. Stuff like Brown in the box. Malumbi driving from deep. So possibly a couple of changes, maybe in personnel, but I think he'll go at it the same way. And I think he's right to, because it's close to working. It's nearly working, but he's only missing the goals. And the team is really close to scoring. So I think for him to rip it up now for the two games, I, I, I couldn't see it happening. If we look at the squad that he picked for the, the last three games, I think we're not going to see too many changes for the three games in November. I think the goalkeepers kind of picked themselves. There's a possibility that Sean McDermott might be called in from Christiansund. He's been playing regularly for them since returning from injury. Kieran Clark is on the road to recovery at Newcastle. He turned out for the under 23 side during the week. And I think he'll come in and we'll see Daryl Shea and Jason Knight return to the under 21s. We're hoping that Seamus Coleman is back and available and we can have that same Darty or Coleman argument discussion again. What I'd like to see as well is I'd like to see Stephen Kenny pick. I don't think he's picked his preferred starting 11 yet and I'd like to see that happen. Has he got the chance though? Yeah, exactly. He hasn't had a chance yet. And I think it would be something like Randolph... Stevens, Duffy, Egan, Coleman or Doherty, and then a midfield three of 
McCarthy, Hendrick and Malumbi, and then up front, uh, McGoldrick and Connolly and Robinson on either side of him. Yeah, that sounds about fair. That's probably the strongest team. Yeah, I mean, there is. Yeah. It's a solid defensive back line. I think there's, uh, there's creativity and ability in the, the midfield three. And I think all of them have the box-to-box mentality. And then up front, there is pace out wide either side of McGoldrick as the target man. And I think that's a, a team that can cause anyone problems. Apart from Duffy, it's a Premier League team, and he's uh, he just he would be a Premier League player. He just happens to be on loan in, in Scotland at the moment. I think possibly Malumbi's lack of first-team football is what might hold him back from, from selection. Brighton apparently were set to send him out on loan and then decided not to, but he still isn't really part of the, the first-team picture for Graham Potter's men. Which is a little disappointing. I think he's done up up to now. He's done everything they've asked on him, and he looked really good last year on loan with Millwall. Speaking of Millwall, Troy Paris could be back yep. and scoring for the Lions. So you know that's someone else that we haven't discussed yet, and he could possibly be the the goal scorer that we're missing. When I was researching for the episode, I was looking back through Stephen Kenny's under twenty one reign, trying to see was there any kind of similarities. And one thing that I did notice uh, was during the Toulon tournament in 2009, uh, we played China, Mexico and Bahrain in our group stage. Uh, we beat China 4-1, drew nil all with Mexico and then beat Bahrain 1-0. And then drew uh, with Mexico again in the third place playoff before losing on penalties. And it, I, again, this might seem a bit hypercritical, but it, it did remind me a little of the two games against Finland so far in that it was a team that he didn't get a result against that, you know, a team that he had to play twice in quick succession and very similar results in both. Mark, do you think or what do you think that he's learned from the, the three games in October? And do you see any difference in the or what difference do you think we're going to see in the games in November? I suppose he's realised that international football is fairly cutthroat. You know, I think he realises himself, you know, sometimes you don't get what you deserve. And I think for a few of those games, particularly last three games we've alluded to in this episode, where realistically they could have gotten more out of the games, particularly the Slovakian game and the Finnish game. What he'll have learned, I think this will be in a progression though, particularly in the performances. I think the team are starting to understand the system a bit more, the footballing ethos. And, you know, we can go back to Randolph era, but again, you never would see that from a keeper, you know, literally the mindset to literally try to release the ball quick. I know there was miscommunication and stuff, but think of previous managerial regimes, that would never have been the case. I think it shows the adventurous side of the game that uh, Stephen Kenny and the management are trying to implore on the players. I suppose next month is going to be a key one. I think we cannot overestimate that Wembley clash now where it was a Bosnia Herzegovina friendly I think both of us would be 50-50 but the fact that it's in Wembley England are coming off a loss against Denmark they'll be eager to set down the marker that is a key clash there and as long as we kind of perform and keep kind of somewhere tight hopefully that will kind of see us literally improve particularly with the Welsh and the Bulgarian game my hope next month definitely score a goal one 
be kind of defensively compact, particularly against England, but also try to secure a win both against Wales, so which will be difficult in Cardiff. But again, Wales haven't set the world alight either. I mean, their trip to Sofia, it was a last-minute goal from Johnny Williams to win that game. So, I mean, I think we're on the same, you know, we talk about our confidence and stuff, but Wales have snuck late winners in here. Um, I think it's a game that hopefully if we don't get too the confidence dented badly in Wembley, we should be going into that Welsh game with a bit of confidence. And then Bulgaria, obviously, at home, I would hope that we could get a win there. And that would be a monkey off Stephen Kenny's back as well. If we can get score a goal to look good performance-wise, because as Philip has alluded to here, you can see the green shoots here. You can see how he wants the team to play and I'm rooting for the guy. I'm really rooting for Stephen Kenny here that he makes a success of it in the next few games. But that England game is key. You know, we can't get hammered. If we do get hammered, then I think the siege mentality comes in. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we don't get that into that situation. That's something we're going to be discussing in the, the next episode of the, of the show. The Ireland ladies team are facing into their final two qualifiers for the European Championships. And in effect... Their qualifier against Ukraine on Friday is a final, considering that the last game is going to be at home against uh, runaway group leaders, Germany. Mark, do you think that Vera Powell's team can get the results they need and qualify for the tournament for the first time? No reason why not, Joe. Uh, We've had Rihanna Jarrett on this podcast, you know, very impressive person, and she's been very confident even to speak on press conferences, so... Like we've beat uh, Ukraine 3-2 in the Tallah Stadium back in match day four. It's a good game. The only concern I would have here is that um, Horan, the keeper, is out. So Vera will have to literally look at the depth chart there to see who can able to assist. But if you look at, across the team, you know, like Denise O'Sullivan, Diane Caldwell, Quinn, Nifahi, Katie McCabe. And I mean, the, the, the ask here is clear. It's not to come away from Ukraine with no points. It's a must-win for Ukraine, which may leave them open a little bit to the counter-attack. And again, we've we've shown in our kind of first game against them that we're well capable of um, creating chances against them. Again, hopefully nerves don't kick in here because it's a huge game for the national side, but also for you know women's soccer in general here. It'd be a massive boost if the girls can get over the line on Friday night. But I can't see why not. Uh, confidence should be high. And I mean... The German 3-0 lost, that could have been absolutely catastrophic at halftime, but in fairness to the management team, they really did regroup at halftime and really minimised the damage. So um, I think confidence should be high. The right vibes are coming out of the camp and there's been you know extensive training sessions, You because know, Rihanna had mentioned that in the podcast that it'd been a number of months You know, with the COVID-19 outbreak. They hadn't had get-togethers, that sort of thing, so... Again, they've had training sessions, had time to acclimatise. I'd be I'd be confident that we can get a result here. I hope we get a result because it'd be great to see the ladies just uh, get into the next phase of the tournament. Yeah, we're currently the fourth ranked of the second place teams and uh, a win would put us on 16 points. But unfortunately, we've one game more played than the two teams ahead of us, Italy and Iceland. You know, you mentioned... Uh, Marie Horan is unavailable, but Grace Maloney has been excellent for Reading this, so far this season in the, the Women's Super League, and she's a more than able replacement. Uh, we probably have more depth in the goalkeeping position for the women's team than we do in the men's at the moment. 
I think there's talent and there's goals all across the team. Katie McCabe scored a fantastic free kick for our Arsenal's uh, women's team at the weekend. Uh, Denise Sullivan's move to Brighton has really worked has worked out really well, both for her and for the the national side. She's playing some fantastic football in in midfield there for the the Seagulls. And I think we've uh, every chance of taking three points against Ukraine. And we wish uh, Vera Powell and the uh, girls in green the very best in the game on Friday evening. I'd like to thank Mark and Phil for joining me. We're looking forward to the squad announcement for the games in November, probably be the 30th of October. No doubt we'll be discussing the players selected and the players that were omitted ahead of the games against England, Wales and Bulgaria after the announcement is made. And we hope you'll join us then. Take care.